Teaching meditation can be a deeply rewarding experience. Help others improve their mental and emotional well-being, reduce stress, improve focus, increase self-awareness and self-regulation, all while deepening your own practice and understanding. Join acclaimed author, Buddhist teacher, and Emmy Award-winning musician David Nickturn on Tuesday, May 28th at 6 p.m. Eastern Time for a free online discussion on teaching meditation in Dharma Moon's renowned Mindfulness Meditation Teacher Training Program. Get certified by Dharma Moon to teach meditation, lead group practice sessions, and work with individual students. Visit dharmamoon.com slash be here now for more info and to reserve your spot for the free online event with David Nickturn on May 28th. I'm Rachel, the creative director for Ram Dass's Love Server Member Foundation, and I'd like to welcome you to our Inner Academy, a virtual Dharma hall where our family of wisdom teachers will help you navigate your daily life by bringing ancient wisdom into a modern context. With over 200 hours of audio and video teachings, meditations, and practices from teachers like Ram Dass, Krishna Das, Sharon Salzberg, Jack Kornfield, Roshi Joan Halifax, Joseph Goldstein, and many more, the Inner Academy is your core resource for finding balance, presence, and navigating the ups and downs of your daily life. The Inner Academy has guidance for every step of your journey. Choose from an annual or monthly membership and gain access to past and future courses, retreat replays, virtual community, and much more. If you've been familiar with Love Server Member Foundation for a while, you'll know that most of our offerings are given freely or on a sliding scale basis. So when you subscribe to the Inner Academy, you're paying it forward and bolstering our ability to continue creating accessible offerings for all in the future, as Ramdas wished for us to do. Be here now and start your journey with Ramdas's Inner Academy today. For more, visit ramdas.org forward slash Inner Academy. Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app today to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Welcome to the Krishnadas Pilgrim Heart Hour. This podcast is a manifestation of our interconnected lives, and we wish to keep it free at all costs, if you can say that. So, we are dependent on the generosity of you, our listeners. So, please go to mindpodnetwork.com slash kd, and either use the donate button, or just bookmark the Amazon portal. We receive a small percentage of however much you pay for whatever you bought. Nothing extra for you, but a tangible contribution, if small, for us. You could also sign up for a free trial with the voluminous audible.com. We get something out of that, too. We thank you for the support and allowing us to continue presenting Krishna Das's excellent talks. What does Sitaram mean? I don't know either. These are what they call the names of God. 
And since we don't know what God is, all we can do is try to uh, call those names and see what happens. You can't have any preconceived notions about what's going to happen and what you're going to experience or not experience. The real meaning of these names the real meaning of these names is not something we can think about. It's something we have to and will experience directly from within. That's the whole difference here. Everything comes from inside. But it's tricky, it's sneaky, it's subtle. Through the repetition of these names, they say that gradually but inevitably, the presence that's hidden within us, our own presence, the divine presence, the Atman, the soul, God, whatever you want to call it, that's uncovered through the repetition of these names. That means it's already in there. Got it? We're not getting anything from the outside. We're not making anything. We're not creating anything. We don't have to emotionally manipulate ourselves to get high. This is not about that. It's not even about feeling good, really. Because if you hang on to feeling good, it means you're pushing away feeling bad. And if you're pushing away anything, it sticks to you. And if you're hanging on to it, it leaves, it drips off of your hands. So what's underneath good and bad, holding on and clinging and pushing away, attachment and aversion, fame and shame, name and gain, or whatever they call it, what's underneath all that is who we are. And that's what these practices actually uncover. Simply uncover it. I, know, I have some friends who are very good yoga, asana practice people. And they recently went to a loving-kindness meditation retreat led by a friend of mine named Sharon Salzberg. Loving-kindness meditation is essentially from the Buddhist tradition. And it's a practice about developing the ability to feel good about ourselves and then to extend that feeling of, you might say, friendship with oneself to others, eventually the whole world. It's called loving kindness. It comes from a Sanskrit word, maitri, which means friendship. Mitrata, friendship. Very simple word. But the interesting thing about the practice is that it starts off, they give you these four phrases to repeat and to try to uh, kind of vibe with, right? So the four practices. First one is, may I be safe? May I be happy? Right? Nothing wrong with that. May I be healthy? Okay, cool. And may I live at ease? Maybe I live at ease, at peace, inner peace. Now, 
seems perfectly reasonable, doesn't it, that we would want those things for ourselves? Wouldn't you like to be safe? Or at least feel safe, no matter what's going on out there? How about happy? Any problem with that? Even depressed people want to be happy. I know. And what about healthy? Any problem with being healthy? Hello? Thank you. And what about any problem with living at ease, being at ease, just and at peace? Any problem with that? You would think not. However, experientially what happens is you sit down and you start going, may I be safe, may I be happy, may I be healthy, may I live at ease, may I be safe. And after a while, you recognize that you can't feel anything like that at all. You can't connect with the phrases. And you're going, may I be safe, may I be happy, may I be healthy, may I be at ease, may I be safe. You don't feel anything. And here you are trying to wish yourself well. And you're finding it impossible. It's not about, may I get that new car, may I get that good boyfriend, may I get that new job and be happy. No. It's about, may I be happy without the stuff. So what they do, they know they're very cool. See, that's, they got this shit together. So the next step of the, of the practice, which might be a day and a half or two days later, they say, now think of somebody who has always been on your side. Always been on your side. Always supported you. Never judged you. Always been there for you. And they also say, it's usually not your partner. <laughs> so find somebody, you know, so maybe it's a grandparent or a teacher or some friend that you've had, always been there for you. And they say, now offer the phrases to that person. And remember, offering the phrases, that's, very, that's a, key, a very important concept, right? You're offering this friendship, this sweetness, this caring, this concern, this kindness to this person. So you start, you know, may you be safe, may you be happy. And after a while, you know, as soon as you get a little concentration, after a while, you start to feel very happy, very at ease. And all those things, you start to feel that because you're wishing this person well who you feel has always wished that for you. So you, you relax inside. Then, of course, the next instruction is now come back to yourself, and you crash completely, and you can't feel anything. It's quite extraordinary. So, if we can't feel kindness, openness, relaxedness, acceptance for ourselves and our own stuff, how do you imagine that you're going to feel that for anybody else? Like a partner, or people you meet, people in your life. What happens is you, you start living outside of yourself, in a sense, turned away from your inner feelings of inadequacy, insecurity, unworthiness, all the stuff that we carry with us. We start facing away from it 
and having a life, knowing somewhere in us that these shadows are right there all the time. Because a shadow doesn't go away as long as you have a body. There's always a shadow there. So, where are you going to find peace of mind if we can't be at ease with ourself? That's a question, actually. Where will we find that? The answer is we won't. Plain and simple. So, when we do practices, we should understand somewhere within us that these practices are meant to clean the mirror of our hearts so that when we look in that mirror, we see what really is there, not the dust on the mirror. If you look at a dusty, dirty mirror, all you see is the dirt and the dust. There may be some faint part of your face in that mirror, but it's mostly covered. Your face isn't covered, but when you look in the mirror, you see it covered. And so that's what you think you are. That's what we think we are, the dust. And what that dust is, is shame, guilt, anger, fear, selfishness, all that stuff. All the betrayals that we carry with us, all the hurts, all the pain of our lives, doesn't go away by itself. You have to let go of it, which means you have to see it and then let go of it, which means you have to see it and accept it in a certain kind of way so that it leaves you. You can't go on like this, holding on to the stuff. And not dealing with it is another way of holding on to it. So the real meaning of Sitaram, the real meaning of these names, is what's underneath all that stuff. Which is why we get a certain kind of feeling when we repeat these names. It's such a simple, relaxing kind of feeling. For me, it was immediate. The first time I heard chanting in India, I went, right, this is it. This is it. This is what I want to do. This is it. This is what I need. And so I kept going around. Every place I, I heard chanting going on, I got there somehow, the best I could. On Thursday nights, the, uh, behind the little hotel that we lived, there was a, a, a little enclave of... Uh, Muslims and they were the, the they were the the washer people the washermen the tailors uh, a certain kind of group of people and they lived right behind the hotel and on Thursday nights they used to sing kavali they used to sing their their holy songs and I used to stand on two buckets in the bathroom you know because the window was up high so I used to stand on two buckets like this listening you know like for hours and hours because it was so Incredible. That's what really turned me on the most in, when I got to India was the way they sang, how much of themselves they were able to give to the singing. It's quite extraordinary. Things are changing now, of course, you know. 
MTV has destroyed the world. You get kids walking around Delhi like gangbangers, you know, with their pants down here and the crazy hats, all the things. That's what they want to be. They want to be Westerners. But still, up in the mountains where there's only one road, you know, it kind of limits the amount of Western culture that can get up there. They still do this stuff. They still get together and chant, sing in the villages. But of course, now they all have uh, dishes, you know, for TV. So they're watching TV, Western TV all the time. But when I went to India, it was how many years ago? 43 years ago. It was a little different. So, it's good to have a little humility when you do practice. It's not about getting something. It's not about becoming something. It's not about becoming the best yoga person in your part of town, on your block, you know. It's about trying to find out who we really are and find some, some sweetness in life, which is not so easy to find. A sweetness that lasts. A sweetness that doesn't depend on the way the outside world is treating you that particular moment. What do you think about that? So, you know, what's this, you know, it's good to do practices, it's good to do asana and meditation, it's good to do chanting, it's good to do that. But it's also good to understand a little bit about what we're trying to accomplish. Because we are trying to accomplish something. Otherwise, what are you doing here? I mean, it is a nice place to, have, to accomplish a vacation. But still, standing on your head, you know, is not necessarily a vacation. You're trying to accomplish something. Find something inside. Slow down. You have to slow down. The pace of Western life is so insane. It's, it's, I, I just spent two weeks. I got back from India about three weeks ago, I think. Was it three weeks ago? Yeah. Yeah, something like that. And I had spent the last two weeks in this Ayurvedic, uh, little Ayurvedic clinic getting some treatment, you know. It was in this tiny little village, three and a half hours away from the nearest city, up in the mountains in southern India. There was electricity about half the time, and about half of that time there might be some internet. No phone. It was so incredible. At first, I had been in India already for three weeks when I went there, so it wasn't that bad, but it was a little bit like, you know, getting into a cold bath, you know, it's like, ah! And okay, they finally kind of get used to it. But by the end of the two weeks, I was like, <laughs> it was just slowing down. It was so incredible. Slowing down. We forget what it's like to really slow down, you know. We go home after work and we turn the television on or we put music on, or we get busy reading the papers, or doing stuff, or talking on the phone. We don't really slow down until we try to fall asleep at night, and then we watch all those 90 channels as we fall asleep. 
slowing down. It's not so easy, but it's very important. Very, very important. I just, I, I wonder if you could talk a little bit about when people are engaged in a practice to kind of touch base, to try, try and um, access what's here or slow down, um, find what's sweet, as you described. I always wonder then, like, uh, about permanence and impermanence. Do you know what I mean? Like, achieve, the desire to achieve that. Achieve and then what? That kind of, that place. Yeah. But I probably, achievement's the wrong word. Well, no, it's okay. Yeah, so I just, I guess I'm wondering, I mean, I'm oh. a novice to all this, so I was just thinking it would just be so wonderful to arrive there. Mm -hmm. And then I'm thinking, oh, but how do you, when you get there, do you get to sort of party? And, you know, do you get to sort of like, wow, I'm here? Or mm -hmm. how is one, how does, what when happens at that place? You know, when you're really here, you're not thinking about being here. You're just enjoying. It's like you're a kid. Kids not thinking, wow, I'm playing, how great. They're just totally into playing, right? So that's what happens. You don't, there's no, it's this whole meta thing that we have going on about now I'm doing this, now I'm doing this, now I'm practicing, now I'm going through that. This, this constant judging, evaluating, it, this, is, this is what's going to go. Because that's where all the self judgment is, you know, the, when we're hard on ourselves. All the stuff we do to ourselves is in that place those mental acrobatics that go on all the time. So actually, as you do practice, the amount of time you spend doing that slowly diminishes. So you shouldn't be worried about if you get that, how will you keep it? When you get it, you won't be worried about it. It's not something you get either. When I mean, we're talking very generally, but as you begin to be able to access that place where it's just open, regardless of what's going on. It's not necessarily... We're looking for pleasure. That's one of our problems, actually. Is that we have this unconscious... These, it's like these sensors up all the time, looking for pleasure. Even when we do practice, they're going on all the time like this, you know? And if we're not getting pleasure, these sensors get very nervous. Like, what am I doing? I'm not doing right. And they give us a hard time because they want pleasure. Practice isn't necessarily about pleasure that way. It's about just doing it and living your life and beginning to understand that it's through practice that we get the ability to become a good person and a complete person. Let's get, let's get a little bit first before we worry about if we're going to lose it or not, you know? That's, when, that's just another thing that's going to keep you from doing it, you know? And the quieter you get, you see that stuff. So, and also, P.S., while you're chanting, any thoughts you have about it are obviously not chanting. Well, sometimes not so obviously. Sometimes it's like a half an hour of not obvious, not obvious being there. And then all of a sudden you realize, whoa, where have I been? What have been, and you realize you've been thinking, you've been chanting, the words have been coming out of your mouth, but you've been thinking about other stuff for a half an hour and not paying attention. Paying attention is the key to everything. Everything. When you're in a movie, you enjoy it because you're paying attention. It sucks you in. It lures you in. 
and the better a movie or an entertainment music is, is at luring you in, the more pleasure you get. But if you think about it, uh, one time I was on a plane, you know, and um, I had seen Ghost already. And, but it was on the plane again. I said, oh, yeah, okay, I'll watch it, right? And then I'm watching the same movie I'd seen just a few weeks before. And I'm crying, trying not to cry, you know? And all of a sudden, in one of these moments, I went, wait a minute. What am I doing? And I realized, wow, this is what this shit is about. Pushing your buttons. You know, getting you, jabbing you in those emotions and getting you like this. And, this. and the better one of those things is at doing that, the more it gets you. And guess what? The less you're present all that time. <gasps> so sad. Oh, it's so beautiful. I can't stand it. You know, when we're in those emotions, we're not even here. And if you go to L.A., there's nobody there because everybody's in the entertainment business. They, when they're talking to you, they don't care about you. They're, they're thinking, like, what effect am I having on this person? And they're aiming at sucking you in as good as they can because they're in the entertainment business. That's what they do. It's extraordinary. When you start to see things from a different angle, you kind of go, like, you realize the whole culture is designed to keep us asleep, to keep us away turned away from ourselves, flowing out of our senses and our mind into stuff all the time. There's no end to stuff. And they make it better and better and better. And you might think, well, okay, that's just the way it is. But you know what? I just read this article about the junk food business. Did you ever? It's an incredible article. How they, the stuff they put in junk food to keep your taste buds addicted to more. You don't really want more, but your mouth wants more. And you keep stuffing that stuff in your mouth. And you don't want it. You know it's not good for you. It's giving you gas. But you can't stop. And literally, it's not your fault. They put stuff in there to make your taste buds overreact. It's a, this is devious. This is like really bad. And that's what this world is about. And that's the way it's supposed to be, by the way. It's not evil. It's just that's, that's what the world is. Stuff. Which is why it's so... It's such an incredible statement that Buddha made when he came out of the jungle. After being enlightened, after recognizing his enlightenment, he said, Monks, oh monks, stuff doesn't work. That's what he said. And everybody went, you're crazy. What are you talking about? He said, stuff doesn't work. Look at it. Aren't you slightly dissatisfied all the time? No matter what you're doing, there's always some piece of you that wants more. Maybe for three seconds in the middle of making love, you don't want more. On a good day. When the moon is in the right place. And all the stars are kind of, you know... At that moment, maybe for two seconds you don't want more, but then, you know, 15 minutes later, want more. So there's nothing wrong with what Buddha didn't say, this is bad. He just said, look what it is. See what it is. So you don't 
fall victim to it unconsciously again and again. If we tried to squeeze water from a stone, our hands are going to be bloody, down to the bone, and no water will come. Once we recognize that water is not supposed to come from a stone, we're no longer disappointed. We can see that stone for what it is. We can polish it up. We can paint it. We can put it up. We can make a shivaling out of it. We can do anything with it. But we don't expect water to come from it anymore. So we're not disappointed. When we begin to understand that happiness, joy, peace, contentment, and the sense of well-being that's hidden within us, when we begin to see that that doesn't come from the outside, then we no longer get disappointed by looking for something where it is not. Like I said, it doesn't mean you can't appreciate what it is, but it's a big difference appreciating something what it is or a person for who they are and not trying to make it something else. Because when you do that, you suffer. Because a stone can be nothing but a stone and a person is always going to be who they are. They can't be who you see them as. They can't be our projections. They can't. It's impossible. Even if they want to, and most of us would like to be able to do that. And for short periods of time, we can do that. And then the projection starts dripping down off of the screen. Relationship's over. But if we don't expect that, then it's a whole different ballgame. But it's not easy. And we only get the strength to deal with those expectations and to see things as they are from doing a practice. There's just no other way. Period. So, on, on the other hand, I don't know if you know who Bob Thurman is. He's a, a very close devote, devotee and disciple of the Dalai Lama and a great Buddhist teacher and scholar and my, we always talk about practice, and my friend Sharon Salzberg, who's also a Buddhist meditation teacher, talks about practice a lot. So one time they were doing a, giving a talk together, and Bob turned to Sharon and said, what is all this about practice? Practice, practice. When's the performance? You've got you to gotta listen to Bob sometime. Bob Thurman. He's a joy on the earth. I mean, I can't stand it. He's so great. I just go... When's the performance? So that's, on, that's the other side. When, when does the time come when, when, when we're no longer practicing and we're really living, you know? Well, as soon as we get out of our own way, that's all. Very simple. There's nothing in our way except ourselves, our own stuff. But how to move that stuff, how to deal with that stuff, how to lighten that stuff up comes from, the, the ability to do that comes from immersing ourselves in, on the path, in the path. 
Thank you for listening to the Krishnadas Pilgrim Heart Hour. We really appreciate your support and hope you'll continue that support by going to mindpodnetwork.com kd and clicking on the donate button or using our amazon.com portal for all of your purchases. Thank you. Namaste.